And so on this All Souls Day, in the 11th uh, week of 12 weeks of reading through the Gospel of Mark, recounting Jesus' journey from Jerusalem, from Galilee to Jerusalem, where he will meet the impending crisis that will result in his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection. Another story from his experiences in the city. You may remember from last week, Jesus was in dialogue with one of the scribes about the nature of the law. There are 613 commandments recounted um, in Scripture, following on the Ten Commandments given to Moses at Sinai. And one of the questions that Jesus and his contemporaries wanted to answer, and even today I think we do, is how would you sum up those 613 commandments? We call this the great commandment, but in fact it's Jesus' distillation or identification of two commandments, one that he shared with this particular scribe who was in dialogue with him. Jesus was a Pharisee. There's no question about it. And he was engaged in a dialogue with another Pharisee, a scribe. Jesus was in alignment with, agreement with many of the Pharisees, but others not so much. The particular story we read last week, where Vanessa read, preached on, was with a Pharisee who saw the commandments to love God with all our heart, with all that we are, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus said, this is it. Today, he'll continue his teaching, and he'll see another kind of scribe and respond to them, to those, that kind of scribe, and also to the arrival of an individual, a woman who was widowed, and her response to God as she approached the treasury. Jesus said, well, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in their long robes. Those scribes want to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, to have the best seats in the synagogue, and places of honor at the banquets. Now, let me pause here for just a minute. This is the banquet of the Lord, the table of the Lord. And two people in this room have reserved seats in long robes. Oops. He's talking about people who want to show off pretension and who are manipulative because of their position and not quite sincere. Our humble prayer is that we will not be pretentious. that we will be sincere. And yet, it's not difficult for us to appreciate what Jesus is saying here about how people can vaunt their selves into a higher place. So beware of those who like to flaunt themselves, claiming the best seat, places of honor at the banquets. Then he goes on, they devour widows' houses for the sake of appearance. They say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. When I was very young, second or third year here, and uh, given to verbosity even more than I am today, which is hard to believe, uh, after one of the services, a member of the choir, who's no longer in this choir, 
but has gone to his eternal reward, came up to me and he said, did you know that your pastoral prayer was eight minutes long? I asked, what's your point? No. <laughs> Some people think we get paid by the word. So showing off, long prayers, flowery speech, the way they devoured widows' houses was, in the ancient world, women did not have legal standing. A woman who was married, whose husband died, couldn't actually have title to the home because she was a woman. So a trustee would be appointed for her, a conservator of sorts, who would manage the house and take care of it and would charge the widow an administrative fee. And these fees were so onerous that within a matter of years, the widow's income was dissolved, paying the administrative fees, who then sold the house out from underneath her. Sounds a little bit like reverse mortgages today. Beware of them, I'll just say. And so this is the context. This is what people hear when Jesus is talking to them. So then he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the treasury. Many rich people came and put in large sums. And you could tell it was a large sum because these were coins. So they'd come up like carrying a bag of coins and pour it into the treasury. Showing off. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which are worth a penny. And then he called his disciples and he said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, everything that she had left to live on. Now this is commonly known as the story of the widow and her two mites, who two haypennies together making a penny. You know, it cost the American government almost two pennies to make a penny. Seems to me we ought to get rid of them. And he says, she's the one who exemplifies in her gift a true devotion to God. In the early part of the 19th and then into the 20th century, women in congregational churches around New England which is about the only place where there were congregational churches, when they gathered, they would take up an offering called the widow's mite. And these were very small offerings from women who were themselves were often very poor, eking out their existence in agrarian lifestyle in the rocky soils of New England. They would give their pennies. And those pennies would be gathered up with the pennies from women from churches around New England, and with those pennies, they gathered enough money to buy passage for four young men who in their seminary had an experience under a haystack in Massachusetts, almost consumed by lightning. They felt themselves like Paul on the Rosal on the road to Damascus. They felt called to go to the Hawaiian Islands and to bring Christianity. Now, as it turned out, that wasn't perhaps the best experiment 
in the spread of Christianity. But the point is that these widows' mites from all these churches, from all these poor women, resulted in being able to send these six young men to Hawaii to preach the good news. And so into the 20th century, women in women's fellowships, like here, when they gathered on a Wednesday morning, would have a box into which people would make an offering, and then that would be used to serve the community. My grandmother, from whom I learned almost everything I know about Jesus, said, because by this point in the mid-20th century, my grandfather and grandmother were doing pretty well. They were comfortable. And she said, you know, Jesus never said you should only bring two pennies. It wasn't the two pennies that counted. It was the portion of her income that mattered. Two pennies from someone who has nothing is more than a big barrel of, barrel of coins from those who has even more tucked away in their cellar at home. It's the portion that bespeaks the devotion of the individual. Jesus is, again, as he is always doing, turning things upside down. He's reversing the usual equation. He's calling into question the way in which we structure our lives and order our relationships. That it is, if we are serious, loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves, it's a total commitment. It's not holding back, giving just a little bit for show, but to express in the depths of our experience the fullness of our response to God. Like welcoming not one family from Afghanistan, but two families of Afghanistan. Last week we didn't know if we'd have two apartments. Today we have two apartments. Thank you, John. Right? God works through mysterious ways, also known as human beings, who get up and do the work of God to which we have been called. So it's that openness of response that Jesus is talking about. This widow is one of the saints. Last week, Ruth, one of the great saints. My grandmother, who taught me about the real nature of Christianity and loving God without counting the cost, but giving oneself fully to greeting each person that we meet as the embodiment, the presence, the love, the purpose, the person of Jesus. These are the saints uh, we remember. From the letter to the Hebrews, there's the wonderful passage with which many will be familiar. In the 11th chapter, the author had been recounting the great luminaries who had come before them, Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Miriam, the great lights upon whom the people's identity as the household of God had been built. And then he continues in verse 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely impeding us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, 
looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the gospel, was that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. This is such a rich, pregnant phrase, this idea that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We are tempted and deluded to think that we live in a capsule of time and that we are constricted into this little capsule and are distinct and separate from eternity. When in fact we are not caught in a capsule of time, we are caught up in eternity. And so our connection, though severed physically with those who have gone before us, is not severed at a deeper spiritual, godly, saintly realm. And with those who will come after us. We are caught up in this great continuum of God's love that continues to move even through humble souls like yours and mine. It was in uh, June of 1988, 33 years ago, when my father died very suddenly of a major cardiac event. It was a day that literally upended my life and changed my life and there's not a day that's gone by when I haven't thought of my father, his uh, great wisdom, his remarkably keen mind, his deep, deep faith, and his compassion, especially for a very fresh, mouthy, rebellious teenage boy. And a day doesn't go by when I'm not aware of my father's presence uh, right here over my right shoulder. And sometimes it is so acute, palpable, that I whip my head and turn around expecting to see him there. He's not visible to this particular set of eyes, but he is visible, perceivable, known, apprehended at a deeper level by my heart, his heart, our spirits. And I know that one day we will meet again. And it's that presence of my father that has made it possible for me to lead the life that I have had. And I think it's true for all of us if we will give ourselves permission 
to listen with the mind's heart and to see with the mind's eyes and to open our own hearts and spirits to the presence of God, the fullness, the pleroma, the overflowing love of God for us all. That like the widow who puts all that she has in the treasury, like my grandmother in her abiding faith and deep wisdom, like Ruth who left it all behind and entered into a strange land out of love for her beloved mother-in-law, Think about that, mother and mother-in-law. You've heard all those tropes about mothers-in-law with her mother-in-law to begin a new tradition which will result in Jesus, the babe of Bethlehem. The individuals whom we have remembered today. And to live our lives in such a way that in another generation, Others will look back to us and in remembering us will sing for all the saints. Amen.